When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 251 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm fresh back from the New York Comic Con, and I have the con crud to prove it. But that won't stop this from being a great doubleheader episode, with two writers returning to share their latest projects with us. First up is Tyler Chin Tanner, who's got a great anthology called Loved and Lost that he's got a Kickstarter going for. Of course, you go to Kickstarter and look up Loved and Lost Anthology. You'll find it there. He has nine different stories in the volume and some great interesting takes on love and love affairs. Then I talk with Michael Jan Friedman, well-known author of comics and books and many other good things, who has a new comic coming out that he wants you to know about. And we're looking for that to come in December, but this is your chance to get ahead of the curve and listen to what he's got to say, as well as what he thinks of other Star Trek things going on and other projects he has coming. There's a lot to get to, as always. So let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Tyler Chintana, publisher at A Wave of the World, back on Kickstarter for my new project, Loved and Lost. I had such a positive experience with my last campaign for the Broken Frontier anthology, I couldn't wait to do it again. Loved and Lost is a collection of nine stories about imperfect romances, those relationships in life that don't always work out the way we expected. It's less about tragic heartache than it is about the pitfalls we run into, our fears, our fantasies, the cultural divides that keep us from finding real love. I've written all of the stories myself and worked with a different artist and art team for each one. They've really brought my scripts to life in unique and interesting ways. If you haven't already heard of these artists, I recommend you check them out. And what better way than with Loved and Lost? We hope you'll support our campaign. I promise, you'll be happy you did. It's great to welcome back to the podcast Tyler Chin Tanner, who has a wonderful Kickstarter going on for a series or an anthology called Loved and Lost. How are you doing today, Tyler? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's always good to talk with you. You make some interesting stuff. And I, last time I talked with you, I talked about that great little story that you told about a lady in Africa that I really loved. I thought that was oh, a great one. from my first series, Adrenaline. Yeah, I really loved that one. That was a great one. That was the first one I did right out of uh, art school, out of the Kubert School. That's cool. Well, I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about that before we get into the anthology because as an, you're an artist, as I remember correctly. I got into it late, late in the game. I wasn't much of an artist until I decided to make the jump into the Kubert school. Mm. Um, and that was mostly just to learn about the craft and about making comics. I, I do like to draw a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I draw recreationally. I post some things every once in a while. I, mm-hmm. I do like to help out with uh, 
layout or backgrounds with some artists sometime when, when they don't mind me me jumping in there. But um, it might be something I explore later, getting back to art and jar, drawing some stories, especially if I just do some short stories. But I'm not a full-time artist. Now, it says on here it's got Wendy's name on it, your wife. Did she contribute yeah. to some of this stuff? How did this happen? Yeah, she was the um, editor, pretty much just, um, you know, taste barometer, making sure I keep things that would appeal to, I don't know, more people outside of my own, mm-hmm. what I what I think is amusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she reads over pretty much everything I write, whether it's a script or a story mm-hmm. or a press release or just something I put on the website, and I know it always goes through her, so... And I always think it's good to have somebody read it who is not in a part of the story. Towards right. the, And I, I always like to tell the crazy story about I was working at a hospital and this older lady was a proofreader. She was a little loud because she couldn't hear. So she kept talking too loudly to people in the lobby. So they sent her to us because she was good at proofreading. And one day she came running in laughing hysterically at me. She says, oh, I like this. These people are gunslingers, she goes. I said, what? She says, you call them a dual income family, D-U-E-L. Oh, uh, and I went, okay, well, I'm glad you found that rather than sending it out that way because sometimes after you read something for so long, you just can't remember. All oh, yeah, stuff. when I read over my scripts, I just I know it so well. I just read it in my head, so it doesn't almost doesn't even matter what's on the page because I'm just reading that line like automatically. Mm-hmm. Now, you got uh, when this posts, they'll have a few days left to get the folks going. And you've got in the 70s, as far as backers go, when we're talking. So you've yeah. got a good number of folks. What we need to do, of course, is, is move along a little faster so you can get the money uh, for the next project for this Loved and Lost anthology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just a two week campaign. So this is day three oh. of the campaign. Oh, gotcha. yeah, I didn't drag it out too much. I do hope, you know, I'm, I'm hoping the consequence of that isn't that people see it and think that I'm more than halfway through and have only gained, what are we at, like 37%. Right. Which isn't a bad percentage, but um, no, it's... I don't know how people sort of judge things based off of how quickly they're, they're going. So we're doing all right, you know, not gangbusters, mm-hmm. but, you know, for three days, 37%. Um, mm-hmm. We can keep up, you know, through next week. We'll be in good shape. Sounds good, because your stuff always is, a, is a, our great stories, our things that can pull you in and make us kind of figure out who these people are and care about them, and then things happen to them. And I always like that kind of stuff. I really enjoy caring about characters, and not every story does that. Yeah. I, it's so tough when I, I read a book and I don't care about them. It's like a video game at that point. Right. Okay. That's a big thing for me, too. I'm always trying to write stories about characters, about character development, about interactions. And that's something I look for an artist, too, because, you know, it's it's about the artist in this medium. And if they can draw these characters and draw those interactions, you know, not just a pretty picture, but, mm-hmm. you know, real storytelling and uh, real, you know, acting with the characters, that's, that's important. Mm-hmm. Now, it's called Loved and Lost Anthology, and you've got nine stories, from what I understand. There's a, a sentence or a couple sentences underneath the, the video. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you get burned. Nine stories yeah. about imperfect romance. Yeah, I didn't quite know how to how to describe it. I didn't want to do like the perfect love. I mean, people even when they write about true love, they often throw like a conflict in, like that they have to get over first before it's like true love. But I don't know. I just I just I wanted to tell some stories that weren't necessarily like this is the perfect match, you know, because you go through a lot of them, There's a lot of trial. I mean, you, you know, I can't see for everybody's experience or mm-hmm. when they meet the one but you know that that's a big part of life i think is learning about relationships through 
you know, these romances and, and interactions with people that aren't necessarily going to be your true love. And uh, I think you learn a lot from them. And I don't know, maybe I was just at a point in my life where I was reflecting back, you know, after being happily married for 12 years, you know, I was just like, I don't know, I just like, I didn't want to write just perfect, true, you know, love stuff. Like, let's let's write, write about the nitty gritty and, and get into some things. Because the perfect romances are really rare, as far as I understand. A lot of yeah. people, a lot of people really come to like to care about each other, but it's not necessarily the, you know, Cinderella story or the the other kinds of right. things like that. So yeah, a lot have, of that is fantasy, you mm-hmm. know. So I wanted to kind of do away with that the whole fantasy romance type thing. I think I read a couple of them. If I remember correctly, you sent them to me, and I really liked. Your, your shorter stories because what happens is you cannot really pull anything out of it without revealing something that's going to happen. So mm-hmm. I don't want to talk too much about it. You could probably give a couple of you know basic setups for what the, some of them are. <clears throat> Maybe you could say like which one was your favorite one because you know when you write nine stories you know it's like picking your children of course which one's your favorite yeah but, but there was that- well, it's funny i had a bunch of different readers you know including my wife you know and and, and people have their different ones and mm-hmm. uh i have a real strong attachment to freshly planted seeds mm-hmm. as, my, as my wife put it it's it's the most sort of like troubled story like it's it's more involved it's the most sort of involved like am i really trying to say something here i i, I really didn't try to overdo it you know i tried to keep it you know, about the about certain elements and just, you know, keep it light. Like, you know, there's a, the topic, there's what they deal with. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I know maybe it's just one of those things the author loves more than I don't know if it'll be, you know, everybody else's favorite story. But, uh, you know, it, it has sort of a special place in my heart. You know, it deals with volunteers that go down to a farming village in Peru and are there to help. And the guy, Nathan, is there on sort of like a religious mission. Like, this is what I do, you know, to be you know, good Christian. And uh, Jill is more coming from the academic, you know, she was an environmental science major, and she's looking for something to put on her resume. So they have their motivations to go down there. And it's just a real learning experience for both of them. Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, look, this is just about me, not about them. And I have more to learn, you know, which something, you know, I sort of went through, I, did, I you know, I did some teaching abroad and I didn't go in thinking I was necessarily going to be the, like the savior or anything, but you really realize you're has this very minor effect on these, these people's world. And they've been surviving and living in these conditions, you know, for generations. And yeah, if you want to come and be part for a little while, see what that's about, you know, you'll grow, you'll learn from that, mm-hmm. you know, you'll mature and that's worth doing. But, you know, it's really about that more than just how much you're helping them or influencing their conditions. It seems to me like what you're doing here when you're doing something like that, it's also like these kind of stories. People learn from these experiences. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're done there, you're teaching them something that they can take forward in their lives. And in these stories, they probably are going to be a little wiser, maybe some sadder, but it'll be something that they can uh, use as as they go forward. Yeah, I hope it reflects back on them. You know, I never try to be too preachy. I I try to just find something, some little nugget of humanity or, or life and and just sort of i don't know translate it you know put it out on, on page and I, I hope it when the readers read it it's more about what they take away from it or how they relate to it than exactly what exactly i'm trying to say mm-hmm. now of course yeah. costa called the loved and lost does that mean that every yeah. story ends with loss you know i i tried to 
a loss in some way or lost as in geographically mm-hmm. finding your way. I was, I was hoping that sort of pun would be, be clear mm-hmm. that it's the lost is meant to mean you lose mm-hmm. you're the love, but also loss is sort of terms of where you are in the world or where you are and figuring things out. Mm-hmm. None of them end in sort of the storybook way. I'll put it that way, mm-hmm. but some of them are a little ambiguous you know, as far as just how long, like it doesn't necessarily end, like that's it, we're breaking up type like thing. Mm-hmm. But because of what they've gone through, you don't necessarily know like, okay, is this, you know, is this going to go on forever or is it just going to like, are they going to work through this a little bit longer and then just, you know, you don't know. But I, I wanted to just deal with a problem in a relationship or a change in expectations where people have to go, huh, okay, this is the new situation and then there are ones that are flat out like okay (laughs) this isn't gonna work (laughs) let's move on um type like thing so you know there's variety i I tried to hit different kinds of people different situations different locations and just try to hit universal elements but with a lot of variety to it Uh, now are they mostly men and women stories is that what these are basically yeah yeah so they're all uh they're all heterosexual stories Mm -hmm. uh there is a gay character a side character in one of them Mm -hmm. um but i mean this isn't i mean this is all me right like i wrote the nine stories and i just i mean it's based off of my own experience i can only write from that perspective i didn't really want to pretend to know that i could write about a gay relationship or, or, or anything transsexual. I just, I just don't have the experience for that. It's just not my, mm-hmm. so I'll, I mean, those will be the projects I'll back on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. you know, when someone else is doing that mm-hmm. and totally, we need more of that in the industry, but it wasn't something I wanted to uh, tackle. Now, uh, this project, anyway, but you said something that kind of caught my attention about the fact that these are kind of stories about that you've gone through. Yeah. I mean, I base that off of what I know. They're not super autobiographical, mm-hmm. You know, like what I was saying with freshly planted seeds, that deals with volunteering abroad. So I've had experience with that, but I wasn't writing. You know, I, I wasn't. I didn't go down on a, a religious mission. So if anything, I'm more like chill in that situation. Mm-hmm. Cache Twenty Two kind of deals with art and business, which based off of me, thought at the end is probably the most that's based off of my true life experience. But again, I'm not actually in it. It's about three guys because those are three guys that were in the military and i actually hung out with some friends that were in the military together and then we're you know in san diego and uh it's still a completely fictional story but i sort of based it around them mm-hmm. um and just what i saw going on there yeah i'm curious though because in these days you know social media plays such a part in all these things how much mm-hmm. does social media play a part in your stories are there occasional ones well, the first story is called Status Update, mm-hmm. and that's about two people who meet online mm-hmm. and have a lot in common when they're in chat rooms or discussing, you know, whatever the hot topic of social media of the day is, you know, how like certain things go through and, you know, but they're very opinionated and have the, you know, the same feelings. But when they get face to face, it's almost like they don't know how to have a conversation without popping out their phone and looking at whatever's going on in social media and commenting. And so they just end up are commenting back and forth to each other <laughs> about what they're reading on their phone. It's, um, a, it's funny because you go to restaurants and you'll see people sitting with their phones. They're not talking to each other. And yeah. None of that stuff's going on. What they're doing is they're, they're messaging. And of course it may or may not be the other person on the, at the table. Right. I, I always get a little concerned about that because 
you know, we always said that uh, that social media doesn't help people communicate unless we're constantly on it. It seems like to me. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, especially since we've gotten, you know, the smartphones and stuff. It's hard not to like if you're out at dinner or we have two kids too. Hard not to like just look to see if somebody you know emailed you something that you should respond to or and like should I really just make a point to ignore my phone until. Mm-hmm. till we're done or something like that you know so it's, that's interesting i remember the guy that sold me my very first uh iphone he yeah. said to me this is going to change your life and i laughed yeah. at him i laughed <laughs> out loud and now i wish i could find that guy again and say you know what you were right it changed society man <laughs> it's changed us all because i can't go anywhere without people finding me yep now it used to be i could go someplace and if there wasn't a phone around or something you couldn't reach me and so that yeah. was all kind of fun be able to get away from things but not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, that's a pretty good excuse for why you didn't pick up or respond to somebody on time, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. what other circumstances are in the, the stories that you did? Um, I've got one at a basketball game, which was fun to do. Mm-hmm. They meet up. Uh, let's see. There was a scuba diving one. Mm-hmm. Two people meet underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cache 22 I mentioned, which was, you know, a, a techie mm-hmm. and an artist in San Francisco start dating. Uh, there's one that just purely takes place in a bar. Guy walks in, talks to a couple ladies, arranges, you know, tries to play a little two-person game, but, um, you know, kind of falls flat on his face. There's a po- politician in a sex scandal one, which was oh, a lot of fun to do. That was almost like catharsis, like, oh, I don't have to think too hard about this one. Yeah. <laughs> this one let's, just, let's just put some debauchery and some fun into this one and, you know, see how it, how, see how it lands. And then there's one about, you know, an, an older couple uh, on a picnic at the end. It was kind of called Swan Song, mm-hmm. which was nice to do. And I mentioned the San Diego one with the ex-Marines in, in San Diego. So, How many pages in this book? Um, story total. I think the exact story totals are just over 130. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm calling the book like a 150-page mm-hmm. book because, you know, with between breaks, pages, and the, the bonus material and the pinups at the end, it's... I think it would be like 150. I just bet, though, that you've done this anthology now. You have come across other stories that you wish you had included or you'd like to include in a future one of these. Um, I haven't – you know what? Mostly I've found other artists. Like, oh, I wish I had another story to get this artist on something or, or things like that. Um, I don't know. I, maybe, I think I'm ready to move on, actually, with the story. Oh, really? I'm hmm. thinking about too many more because I couldn't think, like, oh, if I put another one in. I'm, I'm working on two other projects now because I wrote, I finished writing these a while ago. So my head's kind of in, in those worlds, which is different than this love and loss okay. type theme. So, uh, yeah, I'm just excited to get this book out, mm-hmm. you know, show it to people, have it be like a finished product. And, uh, yeah, I've got some other things, you know. Is that, is that going to go well. into local stores? Is it going to be on, like, in Comixology? How are you going to get it out to the folks? It's, it's definitely going to be on Comixology. Um, I was kind of going to gauge the Kickstarter campaign to see what I wanted to do as far as the print run or where to run it. You know, I don't know. I think I might try to solicit it in Diamond. That's oh, such a tricky game. Cause, you know, I just being like a small label, you don't get a lot of orders and without getting some sort of hype or headline, which I'm not very good at that. I don't necessarily even write things based off of a headline. I do a more like story, like just an interesting, well-told story you know, done in high quality type thing. So I tend to just be like, hey, it's on Comixology, it's on my website, go to conventions, 
you know, talk to stores directly if they want to carry it and uh, just be satisfied with that. Because mm-hmm. these days, you know, you can get comics in any way. And a lot of people have been saying that Kickstarter is like the second biggest uh, producer of comics after Marvel. I've been reading some of that. And so I'm kind of fascinated because I know some people who only buy stuff through Kickstarter. They do not buy things. And and, and that's your bread and butter on Kickstarter, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like These people are great. Like, yeah, you look at all these backers and it's like, you know, 137 projects back because mm-hmm. you can see that information. And just, you know, these are the people. They just love Kickstarter. And I've backed over 100 myself. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great way to support independent and i say support because it's, it's something i want not just because i'm trying to help them out mm-hmm. um and i like the process i like being in a project not necessarily from the beginning beginning because who knows when i'll get that done but but seeing it at least you know as the arts being finished in the production and follow along you know and if somebody runs a good campaign and is ready to like really put this out it's it's sort of a joy to be involved in like i, I just really like it myself so uh yeah, I'm a full supporter on both sides. You know, I don't know how many camp- more campaigns I'll do myself, but I like if somebody's somebody's doing a good campaign. You know, I like to get behind it. That's great. It was so funny. A long time ago, I had a friend of mine, and what it has to do with this, I don't know, but he was a Buddhist, and he he loved uh, uh, Josh Whedon. Mm-hmm. What he wanted to do was he, he wanted to say that people would get online and they would support his stuff. They would put money into it, and if we've got enough money, he could do it. And yeah. I remember all, all of us laughing at him, saying, that'll never happen, I can't do that. And now look at Kickstarter. Kickstarter's yeah. doing that very thing. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, don't uh, laugh at people's ideas, because, yeah. you know, the guy who came up with, like, FedEx, he was, right. he has the, <laughs> he had this big thing about doing that, and he got a failing grade in some yeah. business school. And then he got out of there, and he built it up, and now FedEx is one of the biggest things. Yeah, yeah. Out of that. So, Okay, you were mentioning, well, first thing before I get to that, you were saying that it's going to be done on, looks like it's October 25th at 11 p.m. is when yeah. the, the Kickstarter is going to be done. If you want to find it, go loved, it looks like Ampersand Lost Anthology on or your name, Tyler Chin hyphen Tanner. Yeah. And it'll help people get to it's, it. It's pretty easy. Or you can just go into anthology, comics and anthologies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only like 11 anthologies up right now. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you were saying you have other projects in the works. Can you talk a little bit about them, or is this one of those kind of uh, top secret things that you can't talk about? <laughs> um, I try not to get too much into it, but yeah, I, I can talk about one. I'm try- I've got a, like a fantasy type thing that's set more in like the Mayan Aztec, you know, Mesoamerican world. Mm-hmm. So, but it's really like full-on adventure kind of what you'd get in like game of thrones but completely different setting rather do the like the roman you know saxon type inspiration you know king arthur or or anything like that i just really wanted to just set something like that that was very you know calendar based you know with the approaching doomsday prophecy and that sort of world is just as far as the visuals and their traditions and i've been doing a lot of research on that kind of world and this is it's a fictional world but that's you know based more off of that aesthetic mm-hmm. so i have that coming up mm-hmm. and um yeah that's probably the only one i want to talk about now because okay. i'm still going to see some directions as far as the other one and just what exactly we'll do mm-hmm. um but yeah that first one i hope to have something out you know next year once i get this love and lost wrapped into the printers you know it's full steam ahead on that sort of big sprawling adventure book 
That'd be good. It sounds to me one of the things you enjoy doing is telling different kinds of stories. Yeah. And not everybody does that. There are some people who are just total sci-fi people. They they want to write sci-fi. Yeah. Or there's people who want to write adventure, you know, in jungle-type stuff. And to me, I think the best writers are those who can do like you do, who can do different kinds of stories and tell them well. Yeah. Which I like. Yeah. That's definitely my approach. I, I just I just want to do something. I want to tell a contained story, and that sort of scratches that itch, and I do some research and, and get my mind around that sort of topic, and then move on and want, want to look into something else. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Now, as far as, as we were saying, it's going to stop at on the 25th, Tuesday at 11 p.m., so do not waste. This is your chance to get out there and support this great project because we've all been in relationships. We've all had them go sour on us or work out or steal thing. And we need to be able to relate to other people who have gone through these kinds of stories. And, you know, there's, there's so many times I run into people who have had relationships that are either terrific or really terrible and the way to talk with them about this, this gives you some kind of basis. You can read the stories and you can kind of talk with them and develop these kinds of things to be able to relate to what they're saying when you do mm-hmm. that. So. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going for. I, mean, I, I, was, I was worried from the beginning that people would be like, this just sounds depressing. Yeah, but most of the responses have been, have been pretty positive and be like, oh, yeah, I can see how this is some good material for some, some real you know, human stories. Mm-hmm. Now, your website is called A Wave Blue World. A-W-A-V-E-B-L-U-E World. Like a like a sort of an ocean thing, a wave. Yeah, blue world. Uh, it's, it's Brave New World, but with the ocean theme. Mm-hmm. So do you yeah. live by the ocean? Is that why you chose that? No, I, I've, I'm in Portland, Oregon now, which is on a river, but not not on the ocean. But I always love the ocean and it's important to, for me to get to the coast and recharge my batteries and, and when i lived in san diego that was probably the only time i was on the ocean and did some surfing there and just love to go out. i would love to just paddle out more than the actual surfing now that was fun but just to get a, get out on the water get a new perspective mm-hmm. so yeah it was just that was sort of in my head when i came up with the name it's just kind of funny because you know you're not near the water and yet you've used the water title for your website which for some people makes it a little hard to find, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, there was also a lot of, when I was coming up with that name, there was a lot of companies that were really like short one word. And I understand why that makes sense from marketing-wise. And maybe I've kind of shot myself in the foot a little bit by making one that's that's hard to say. But uh, I don't know. Like you said, I like to do things that are different, uh, you know, go against the grain a little bit, even if that costs me some, some marketing or or whatever along the way. Well, I always like to talk to people who don't necessarily take the well-trodden path. Yeah. You know, everybody does the same things the same way, and I like it when somebody comes up with stuff that's way different. You know, coming up with a website that sounds like the ocean, and you're actually not near the ocean, which is a lot, <laughs> of, a lot of fun. So I think that that kind of is a sign that when you're reading your stories, you're not going to necessarily get the same old stuff. You're right. That's what I hope for. Yeah. So anything else that's coming on? I saw you, I think it was at Heroes Con. Yeah. About a year ago, I think it was. And are you going to do any more convention appearances this year? You know, I, I just had to cancel my appearance at Yakima this weekend because the weather's so bad. Though, I, you know, maybe tonight I'll recheck the weather and see 
maybe the storm's blown over. But that's it for this year. I didn't do New York Comic Con mm. just because it wasn't worth the travel over there. But I'd like to do that next year. Mm-hmm. I'll be back at Heroes Con because that's a great show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emerald City's the, my first one in March. Mm-hmm. So all I know for sure is Heroes Con, Emerald City, and New York Comic Con next year. Emerald City, boy, good luck. That's great that you can get in there because my understanding is you have to struggle to get into Emerald City. Oh, yeah. Well, we've been going for the last, I think I've been going for eight years. I actually been going to that show before I moved to Portland. Like, I was going there from New York. Oh, wow. So, I hope they don't boot me out. I mean, I've been doing it for, for eight years. Mm-hmm. Once, um, you, once you get your foot in the door, I think that they all keep you, you know, because you prove reliable and they want to make money, of course. So, right. you keep paying for the stuff and you get in there, man, they'll be happy to have you come back every year. Right, yeah. Just for what it's worth, I was at New York. And I came down with a nice cold from there, you know, what they call concrud. Yep. And that's why my voice is a little down low compared to what it normally <laughs> is. But uh, we came back, and on the way back, the roof of my mouth started to get sore. And I thought, oh, no, not that. So yep. I'm getting better, but it's a slow process. But I wanted yeah. to make sure to get this out there because I think it's important to support this uh, Kickstarter and get things happening because it's important to support things that are not necessarily the same old stuff. Yeah. And I mean, as I've been telling people, you know, I mean, yeah, I appreciate the support just because, you know, it's different in indie. But I mean, this is this is a great book. I mean, I know I'm a little biased, but just looking at what the artists have done on this, I know they're not big names, but they're really talented. They're really, you know, up and coming artists. And I'm, you know, I just know people are not going to be disappointed. How did you find these artists, by the way? Yeah, you know, uh, just searching around, you know, I really wanted to find sort of like new artists that fit the story as well. There's some artists that went to the Kubert School, mm-hmm. you know, after me that I've been keeping my eye on. There's some ones that I know from the area out here in Portland or just somebody that I saw a comic maybe at a convention was like, hey, you know, did you want to do a short story? Mm-hmm. And because uh, I thought their their style fit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are some people that, like, looked like they were going to do one that did, didn't, and then I got somebody else. Mm-hmm. But uh, everybody I got, you know, did a great job and really fit the story well. That's good, because short stories are hard to come by in mm-hmm. comics these days. You know, now, like the X-Men, for decades, they've been going on with <laughs> the same story. And so for me, I always like to get a shorter story, because one thing you can do in the shorter story is you can come to a conclusion where most yeah. comics you have to reset Batman so he can go back and and f- fight people the next time and he can't change anything with him. So mm-hmm. I always like it when short stories come along like yours that we can enjoy the story and not have any idea where you're going. Right. I like. I like that a lot. Yeah. So anyway, it's called Loved and Lost Anthology. Look on Kickstarter, find it. And there will be only about a week to go, roughly, when this airs. It'll be on Tuesday, October 25th, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. So be sure to get out there and support it. I love wonderful, different things, and this is one of those kinds of things. So please be sure to support it. And, you know, Tyler, keep up the great work. You're doing wonderful stuff. I always enjoy seeing something that's different, and that's the thing that you always provide. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Great. Thank you. That's a perfect compliment. <laughs> <laughs> People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast. 
so you can keep reading your comics. Great to welcome back to the podcast, Michael Jan Friedman, a prolific writer who's done many comics and also novels. And it looks like what you're going to do, Michael, is to put out a story that uses both mediums. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing real well, thanks. I'm very excited. Yeah, so uh, it, you've been doing a lot of things. Of course, you're known very well for Star Trek and also, you know, your crossover type things. You did Star Trek X-Men, if I remember correctly, and other good things as well. So... My understanding is you wanted to get back into comics as well as do a, a, a sci-fi novel. Yeah, you know it, it's been a while since uh, since I worked in comics on a regular basis, and I had so many so many other projects I wanted to uh, to launch that comics um, and space adventure both kind of took a back seat to the other projects I was I was interested in. Um, which which I launched through um, the independent publishing group Crazy Eight Press, which I was one of the founders of, mm-hmm. and I've been doing a lot of things, and I'm going to continue to to do um, to put out books through Crazy Eight Press because there are so many things I want to do. But one of them is one of the things I miss is writing a space adventure comic book as I did back in the '90s for uh, for DC Comics when I wrote um, Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. the, the monthly book. Mm-hmm. And I was at um, Mission New York, a Star Trek 50th anniversary um, uh, celebration uh, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it occurred to me, I really miss writing Star Trek comics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, that's not, you know, it's not in my control whether I, whether I do those, but it is in my control whether I want to do a space adventure comic book. Mm-hmm. And uh, God knows, uh, I think Gene Roddenberry would have been the first to uh, to concede that uh, Star Trek was not the first space adventure. So there's certainly uh, a lot of room for creative differentiation. Mm-hmm. And um, what I have in mind is something darker and grittier. But I didn't want it to just be dark and gritty. I wanted this book, Empty Space, mm-hmm. to have something to say and not necessarily something pessimistic. Mm-hmm. As dark and gritty as it is, I think it has some very positive things to say because dark and downer are very popular uh, and have been for a while. But I don't I don't that's not where I'm personally inclined to go. Mm -hmm. I like the dark. I like the gritty. But there has to be some hope and there has to be um, uh, something noble to shoot for. Mm -hmm. So why don't you give us the if you can tell us the basic outline for what both the novel and the comic are about. What's the setup? Right. Well, it is it is a comic at this point. The the graphic novel that I'm um, that I have in mind is uh, is really just a collection of the comics. Oh, OK. Um, the um, um, I can't tell you too much yet. I'll certainly be able to tell you more when I when I perhaps come back in a couple of months. Okay. But um, but uh, it's called Empty Space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, a, about a, um, a universe in which mankind is, is far from the dominant uh, force. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are 
least two um, alien species. And the reason, one of the reasons that mankind survives is because these two alien species are at each other's throats and, and we are not the main enemy. Hmm. So as long as that balance of power exists, we can, we can survive in the, in, in the gaps. Um, but um, uh, our hero is a guy named Robinson Dark. And talk about your dark, uh, your dark stories. <laughs> and, uh, and Robinson Dark is somebody who's been pegged as somebody special. He is one of what uh, are known in, in, in this adventure as, uh, as empties. He's an empty. Yeah. Why he's an empty and what that means for us as a race and a species and, and what it means for um, him and his shipmates is something we'll get into uh, later on. But for now, uh, I, I can tell you that that he is an empty, and he is discovering this milieu just as we are. We discover it along with him. Mm-hmm. The story is told in the first person. This is something that I've been doing more and more in prose, mm-hmm. and it's something I wanted to try in comics. Certainly not the first time it's ever been done. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, Mark Wade did it very effectively in the Flash comics. Mm-hmm. So not my invention, but I think it's something that really works. It really brings the reader in more. You're not just watching the action. The analogy I like to use is um, the difference between riding a roller coaster and watching someone else ride the roller coaster. Mm. It can be exciting to watch somebody ride, but how much more exciting to be in the seat yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling I want readers to get when they when they read Empty Space, because they're going to be in that perspective of Robinson Dark. Okay. I was just going to ask that. Is, who's the first person? And you've answered that one, so that's a good thing. Well, well is, will you give us a backstory on it? Is this, you know, how we take and loves to drop us in the middle of a story and we don't know what's going on and we kind of figure it out as we go. Are you going to give us some backstory? Are, 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 is history going to show up as it's relevant in the stories as you move forward? I'm going to, you're going to, again, you're going to be discovering things mm-hmm. along with Robinson Dark. Mm-hmm. He's not going to know anything beginning on page one he won't know anything and as he find uh makes discoveries uh, so will we uh so it's called you know in media rest is the is the technique and that's that's the one i'll be uh, i'll be using um you know stories in general are i, I think work well as voyages of discovery mm-hmm. and the more personal discovery the more the individual has at stake the better and robinson dark will have a lot at stake Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, as a writer, of course, you know how to write beginning, middle, and end. Do you have an idea as to how many – are you going to do like mini series of these? Are you going to do – you're talking about a graphic novel and stuff like that. Are you going to do like one story at a time in the graphic novel? Are you going to do some individual stories in between? How are you going to do that as you go forward? Well, right now the plan is to do quartets. Mm-hmm. So I'll do uh, – the, fr- the first story arc will take four issues. Mm-hmm. That's the plan, and then be collected, and then the next story arc will take four issues and be collected. But um, we may get into longer arcs mm-hmm. at some point, and and who knows? Maybe I'll do a graphic novel that never becomes an e comic, mm-hmm. uh, digital comic. So you know, we'll see. But but for now, the the plan is to do four issues, collect it, four issues, collect it, and that's. For practical reasons, for publishing reasons, as well as for creative reasons. 
I think, you know, four issue arc is, is generally a good one. Very often when you see six issue arcs, they really don't need to be six issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, Six issues was kind of a magic number for comic book publishing. If you get six issues, well, then you can then you can put it together. You can collect. It. But um, I think four issues is good, and I think we'll try that out for a while. Okay. So the question, of course, now is this is going to go through Crazy Eight, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Had a because uh, Crazy Eight, it's really for at least to this point for book publishing. Right. And I have a I have a company. Museworthy. Okay. Museworthy is kind of teamed up, you might say, with Crazy Eight mm-hmm. uh, on uh, on the, a couple of the anthologies I've done. Mm-hmm. But it makes more sense to go through Museworthy to go through my company mm-hmm. in terms of working with artists and paying artists and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the imprint will will be Museworthy. Okay, so be good. Now, of course, you've got to approach Diamond, and you've got to if you're going to sell paper copies. That's a process you've got to go through and things like that. Are you going to are you going to do like a trade, put in diamond, like the trades? are in, The individual issues and stuff, you're talking about comicsology and things. What about paper versions? Are you going to do that at conventions, maybe take the individual issues to like Star Trek conventions? Yeah, I don't I don't think at this point I'll go through through diamond. Okay. I mean, you know, I'm just one guy. So, uh, you know, I still have to sleep a few hours a night. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think it'll be uh, e-books through Comixology and collected editions through Kickstarter. And yes, I think I'll possibly print up limited editions, limited uh, press runs mm-hmm. for conventions and so on. Mm-hmm. But not definitely. The only definite things are the digital books and the collected editions. I have to see how things work out and see where the best opportunities are for me to connect with the reader yeah that's where the magic is right right between the creator uh the the the, the creative team mm-hmm. and the uh, and the readers because when you're talking digital you could always go through amazon and go through uh, itunes even sells digital yeah. versions of comics so you could go all those different routes if you want to i'm certainly going to consider those mm-hmm. the margins are, are different when you do that right but I certainly wouldn't, you know, I'd be foolish to rule that out. But right now, for now, I just want to keep it fairly simple. I can always go those routes in addition, but I want to keep it simple because it's more likely to work Mm -hmm. if I keep it simple at this point. And then if I see broader opportunities, then, you know, I can can grow. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Well, of course, the great thing about Comixology that is particularly great is you are there and your book will have the same amount of shelf space as Action Comics. That's right. You know, when somebody goes and looks at Comixology, they'll go and look and they'll see all these different books and yours will have the same amount of space as, say, Detective or any other book that you want to mention. And so you have the chance to compete that way. And I think, you know, there have been a lot of books that people come across that they may not have ever heard of, but it just looks interesting. And the description kind of draws them in. And so they start buying the digital versions of it. And you can subscribe and everything too. So if somebody buys the first one, they like it, they can subscribe. And whenever the book comes out, it'll automatically get put to that person. So that sounds like yeah. a good way to go. Yeah, it's, I, in fact, the first time I ever heard of it, I said, you know, where's the catch? That's <laughs> that's an amazing thing. You're You're Exactly what you said. You're mm-hmm. you're sharing shelf space with the big boys, mm-hmm. so um, that was refreshing, and I, and I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how many issues are you going to put out in a year? Are you going to be bi-monthly? You know, will they come out when you're ready? Because you know, if, as long as you t- 
tell fans that. People who are interested in the book and say, okay, it'll come out at such a point. Then people are usually pretty forgiving about that and pretty, you know, understanding as far as those things go. Did you have a schedule in mind? Are you going to do bi-monthly? Because monthly is often kind of hard when, when it's just yeah. a, a small group working on it. I'm shooting for bi-monthly. When December comes, you know, it's possible when I when I see how uh, how quickly uh, Kyo can work in in producing kind of stuff he's capable of, mm-hmm. and uh, and my colorist as well, and and uh, my letterer. You know, when when I see how quickly they can work and how, and how quickly I can work. At that point, I'll make the decision, but it, but right now I'm leaning toward bi-monthly. Okay. That's a good thing these days. That's what a lot of people do. And, you know, even the image comics model, you get so far, like, say, six issues in, and you take a break for a couple of months, and then you come back. That's what right. the image does. And so there's all kinds of possibilities as far as doing comics go. As long as you're communicating with people, letting people know, okay, we're going to take a couple months off, then we'll be back kind of stuff if it just vanishes right, then right. people just sort of say oh it's gone and when it comes back yeah. you yeah, lose people you know a long time ago i got involved with publishing uh, magazines you know i was in, i was a writer for business magazines mm-hmm. and uh and I, and I did get involved in uh in the publishing end of it uh, after a while and you learn some things you know and one is you know you don't thwart expectation you know you as you say mm-hmm. you let people know what you're going to do and then you do it and you don't miss also, you know, if you're quarterly, for instance, even as uh, frequently as quarterly, you can you can be out of mind. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I think uh, bi-monthly is um, is a good way to go. By the time we start, we'll have a little backlog. So um, so we'll have some margin for error and we'll put out those first four issues. And if, if we need to take a break, we'll communicate that. And uh, but I don't want it. I don't want it to be a long leg. Mm-hmm. It's too easy to forget and move on to something else. It's amazing to me that image gets away with that, to be honest with you. Because, you know, it's so many times if you like a book comes out and it's late, people automatically say, oh, we're done with that. We're not going to do that any longer. But, you know, if image started doing that, and ever since then, now it's just considered to be acceptable that, you know, if you want to take a couple months off, sure. No biggie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it goes against my grain. <laughs> <laughs> okay well it's interesting this may be an odd question considering you're just getting started but one thing I always enjoy about your writing is you know how to conclude things and wrap things up very well and so since you're just getting this started have you actually come up with what you, the way you want this to end yes okay. yeah I've, I've actually plotted out all four issues at this point and then incidentally because things came up and I said gee can I put that in can I do I have room? Does it make sense? You know, or should I save it for the next arc? Mm-hmm. I've actually got material into, you know, beyond issue four. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I don't want it to end, but I do want to have a sense of closure. Right. So if you if you read the first four issues, you'll have a sense that, OK, this was a this was a complete story. Okay. And we hope that you'll you'll want to stick with us uh, in, into a second arc. But but it will be a complete arc. And and it'll be satisfying. And and in fact, you know, listen, every issue, even every scene, has to have some sense of closure or why included. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the way to do things these days. The thing you have to do though is keep pulling people along, and you know, because comics have to end with a with a uh, like a cliffhanger in order for you to come back. I've read some comics and they come mm-hmm. to a very happy mm-hmm. ending all right. of a sudden, and at the end of the happy ending, people say, "Whoop, we don't have to buy it anymore." 
So right, you, you, have right. to, you have to keep us on the edge of our seats by doing that. Right. But I was also curious too. But it's interesting. Each are going to do that. But what about like the whole, the whole series? You know, if let's say you start up and you get twenty twenty five issues into it, do you have an, an end in mind for the whole series? I do, I do, <laughs> and and it's interesting you should ask that because because that's the, that's the first advice I get, and in fact I gave that advice today, mm-hmm. you know. To to young writers, uh, you know, they say, you know, what what can you tell me? Give me some hints. And I say, you know, finish what you start. You don't know what the beginning is mm-hmm. until you write the end. Mm-hmm. You don't really know what that beginning was about. So yes, I do. I I, I know where it's going to end eventually, and I've had some practice, you know, mm-hmm. ending long arcs. My Dark Star series mm-hmm. series, uh, uh, which ran thirty nine issues for DC, wow. actually had an ending. <laughs> you know, when you get to uh, the um, the assistant editor who was working on it uh, said, you know, after it was over, he read all 39 issues in a row and he said, wow, it really hung together. It ended. <laughs> so uh, so I do I do have an ending in mind, but but I'd like to forestall it a- as long as possible. OK, that's good. Yeah, you know, uh, it's important. You're right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, honestly, when you read certain books, you can kind of sense that we're just sort of meandering. There's no feeling that we're getting anywhere we're just sort of running in place a lot of times but when a great story gets to the you know when we get to the end you go oh now this all makes sense because we've been aiming towards that direction and even sometimes you, before you get to the end you can feel that things are moving in a direction and you can just sense by the way it's being written so that's yeah great. i want to um what i wanted to do is constantly peel back layers of the onion mm-hmm. you thought it was this but no, it's not exactly that. It's something else. Mm-hmm. And then you thought it was that, but you peel back another layer and you go, wow, that wasn't what we thought it was. It was something else. The objective is, is to be, uh, you know, um, like the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. We got to the end. Mm-hmm. You really, uh, you know, spoiler alert, you know, <laughs> Spacey was Kaiser Sose. You know, <laughs> when you when you get to the end, mm-hmm. it recolors everything that came before it. You go, I didn't know that. I didn't realize what I thought was going on is not what was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the best and way that's, to do it. Yeah, I'm hoping to get some of that feeling into into each arc of uh, empty space. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Now, of course, oh, let's see. Show you, it's going to be digital. You're going to have to do a lot of digital online promotion and things like that of, of this in order to make sure everybody knows when things are happening. Do, do you have any? Like somebody who's going to be able to help you, like maintain, like say on Facebook and Twitter and all these other things, to be able to get the word out. Yeah, well, you know, I largely because I've been doing Kickstarters, um, I, I have those mechanisms in in mind. Oh, good. And and I do have, I, I you know, I do have um, a following when it comes to Star Trek. I do have a following when it comes to comic books, and I'm hoping that the combination of those two will be enough to make the book a success. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, podcasts mm-hmm. like this one are, um, you know, are, are a big help as well. So, so I've I've gotten to be reasonably good at getting the word out, and I have a lot of uh, friends that I've made through my work, mm-hmm. and, uh, and some of them are extremely helpful. So that helps. Yeah, that'd be good because you probably also want you to get into a rhythm of it, know exactly what you're going to do when, as far as the issues go. You know, moving from writing to the, the, the art coming along, and then the, the, the getting it ready for uh, comicsology and things like that. And then the, once that gets up there, of course, you got to do some promotion. 
So you'll probably have a right. after yeah. a while you'll know the whole thing is how you're going to do this or how you prefer to do it. Yeah, yeah. It, it I mean it's going to be an ongoing task, you know, yeah. to promote it. But one th- one thing I don't want to do is is just make it promotion. I you know I find that promotion is best when it's value added. When 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 you're saying you know here's something. Uh, here's some insight. Here's some entertainment. Here's something that you that you can enjoy and and uh, uh, get off on, and and by the way, it's also promotion. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I want to you know every every everything that you give your your prospective readers, even even as as small as a as a tweet, mm-hmm. should have some value to it. It should mm-hmm. be it should be something other people can't do. Right. Um, you know, something clever, something entertaining, something witty. Uh, here's some artwork. Here's some insight into into where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, readers, even if they're just reading a tweet, it's still a, it's still a commitment and they don't have to do it. So you want them to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I put myself in their place and I say, you know, why should I read this? Why should I look at it? Is there something in there for me? Mm-hmm. You, you bring to mind something else too is that some folks now when they are before they're releasing a comic they'll release like a page or a section out as a web comic has that appealed to you mm-hmm. or is there, you, would you just prefer to yeah. do it all in comicsology you know at this point I would um, which is not to say I wouldn't uh, release a, a page mm-hmm. um, you know to whet people's appetites I think I, I might do that and and you know there's nothing wrong with with you know giving away a you know a, this first page or a cover or mm-hmm. something you know that that makes people feel involved. Stan Lee was a master at, at getting people you know to feel like uh, you know they're included, mm-hmm. part of what we're about, and uh, bringing them into the process and uh, much more than any other uh, comic had ever done mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, I'm hoping to do that. I want people to feel like they're like they're part of it. I really, I really treasure the the relationship between the creator and the um, reader. And you know, when I discuss it, you know, in books, I say the writer and the reader. It's very important, and it's important in this time of uh, of uh, tr- traditional publishing having to reinvent itself, and in some cases to just to just give up. As, as happened with borders, mm-hmm. it's very important to preserve that relationship between the the creative talent and the reader. The reader, you know, the reader is a talent as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not everybody who can who can even look at a comic book mm-hmm. and see the images and and put themselves effectively in that story. Mm-hmm. You know, have the imagination to put themselves into that story. That's a talent too. Mm-hmm. Very much, and of course, working together—that's when things are are the most excellent. Is when you tell a story and people get it. Right, right. That's a great thing. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than having them, you know, really get it. I mean, I remember one time um, I was writing a book called Kales, a Star Trek book about Kales, the the first uh, emperor, really, of on the Klingon homeworld, and talking about the historical Kales. And at one point I realized, I said, wait a second, there's an opportunity here to put a little twist into this, mm-hmm. which I hadn't contemplated in the original outline. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it that way. And I, I put the twist in. I said, wow, that could be cool. But, you know, will they get it? Will they get it? It's, I have to be subtle about it. Mm-hmm. Will they get it? And then sure enough, uh, it's, uh, 
couple of weeks after it came out, a woman came up to me after a panel at a, at a convention and she said, I love the way you twisted that. That was, I didn't see that coming. And I told mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't see it coming either. <laughs> Sometimes the characters take on their own lives in your imagination. And that's always a good thing because it'll probably feel more natural when those things, as they develop, rather than trying to force it down a path you're already predetermined. Right, right. I mean, you have to, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm not a, what they call a pantser. Mm-hmm. I'm a planner. I, I like to know where something's going. You know, I like to know there, what the stopover points are, where, where we kick into a higher gear. But you do have to leave a little room for the unexpected. Douglas Adams, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide, mm-hmm. said a writer's only job is to surprise himself. <laughs> so hmm. you need a little room for that. Mm-hmm. We're good. So that's good. I, while I've got you, I want to ask just a couple of questions because you're a Star Trek guy, and I know this is your opinion. Don't have to worry. And if, and well, the first thing I want to know is because as a Star Trek guy, do you keep up with Star Trek, or do you? Is it better for you as somebody who's a, who's created in that universe to kind of stay away from that? Well, I stay with it mm-hmm. uh, with regard to the screen products. Mm-hmm. I seldom read uh, the books or the comics, to be honest, because reading a book or a comic while you're writing something, Mm -hmm. whether it's that or something else is a little like listening to music while you're writing music. (laughs) You just, it's just hard to do. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love and respect, you know, my fellow Star Trek writers, I just just can't do it. And that's the irony, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's the sad irony of, of being a writer is that you got into it because you admired the writing of others because you love to read. And uh, unfortunately you don't do nearly as much of it when you're a writer. Because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, because I know you're a Star Trek guy and you're also a Green Lantern guy. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. they had the crossover between the two, which I really enjoyed and ended rather differently than what I expected. And I just wondered if you had a chance to look at it, because I'm going to do a second one now, a uh, second one with that. And I just thought yeah. that, that to, to me, that was just an ideal crossover, both sci-fi properties. You know, it, it really worked out really well. I thought I enjoyed the book real, real well, and I'm just hoping the second series is as good as the first. But uh, yeah, I'll agree. It's it's a natural, mm-hmm. it's, it's a natural crossover, and I will read that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep up with, you know, all the TV series, mm-hmm. comic book characters. You know, it's weird because you know we used to be nerds, mm-hmm. and. And and had our own little things, and you know there was a time when you couldn't even get a superhero action figure. Mm-hmm. You know, had to like I had to kind of take other figures and imagine what if this was the Silver Surfer, or mm-hmm. what if this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a Captain America or Thor, so um, or Green Lantern uh, or the Martian Manhunter. So uh, you really had to use your imagination, and and, and you felt alone, and uh, and and some. Times, if not alone, at least part of a very select, isolated group. And now everybody knows about it. You know, who doesn't know about the Avengers and mm-hmm. the X Men and Spider Man? So it's it's kind of weird that you have all these possibilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Super. I love the Supergirl series, mm-hmm. and uh, and the Flash and Green Arrow and and um, Shield. But I can't watch them all. So mm-hmm. so uh, likewise with the comics and the Green Lantern uh, Star Trek crossover, which looks really good. Is something I'll have to binge. Mm-hmm. 
at some point. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, that's the thing you want to do as a writer is be influenced by something, and then all of a sudden somebody says, "Well, you know, that was just like in the show," and then you realize, "Whoops, I I, I watched that show a month ago." So yeah, I don't want to yeah. do that. You want to do those kinds of things. Sometimes I influence myself, <laughs> and I and, and I don't even know it until I go back to something I did a long time ago, and I went, "I did that before. I I already did that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even remember." But uh, yeah, you don't want to be influenced. But you do want to be entertained sometimes, so you have to occasionally put down your your keyboard and you know and read read somebody else's wonderful work. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask you, of course, this new Star Trek series coming, mm-hmm. and you have written uh, co-wrote an episode episode for Voyager as we discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your opinion about what's coming? What you've heard so far? And you know, granted, you know, you, this is something that you might hopefully at some point get a chance to contribute to. You never know. So, well, what's your it, feeling it's about true. it? <laughs> it's true. It's true. I better kiss ass, right? But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but honestly, honestly, I'm very excited about it. Hmm. I'm just curious. I want to know what they're going to do. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be Star Trek, so there'll be something familiar about it. But it'll also be um, something different. And uh, I'm, you know, I generally I resent things like having to subscribe oh. in order to in order to uh, to. Um, you know, enjoy something that I maybe I should enjoy for free, but mm-hmm. in this case, it's fine. I, I I'm I'm looking forward to it that much that if I have to shell out a few shekels, it's okay. You know, I have to tell you a story because when Stargate SG One first came out, it was on Showtime, mm-hmm. and I I didn't have Showtime, and so I had a friend of mine who had taped them all, and he gave me the tape, and it was a Christmas Eve. We start, we watched the first two hours, and then we watched the other five hours he had on Christmas Day. And I literally was calling him saying, you got any more of that stuff? Where is it? And I always get a kick because at the time it was on Showtime, we used to have discussion panels. And I'd always ask, how many people buy Showtime just to get this show? And a lot of us did. It was just an amazing thing because it was such a great show that we were willing to pay to get it. But, of course, it was a great show. And that has a lot to do with it. They have a lot to live up to, though, because we're paying for it. They do. They do. But, you know, I think um – I think they have they they also have a lot to refer to in terms of successes and and maybe some uh, not so so much uh, successes and and I think uh, you know the the people that uh, who are who are working on it who've been announced so far are are all very good people you know Brian Fuller's terrific and I think you know if if the quality of of the talent and the respect for the material is anything uh, like what I think it is, then it's it's just going to be a good series. So if they came knocking at your door, you would consider it? I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Now, one other question, too, we're talking about television. What if somewhere down the pike a TV producer gets a hold of your comics mm-hmm. and approaches you and says, hey, we'd like to make this into a, a TV show? What's your reaction to that uh, kind I, of stuff? You mean when they kill me off the ceiling? <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be very happy that, you know, I, I would make that sacrifice. Okay. <laughs> if, if, if I had to, I would make that sacrifice. And, you know, honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming to make this as good as any TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one reason I, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I want to do it in a measured way mm-hmm. and, uh, and make sure that everything that goes out the door is, is, is of a very high quality. Mm-hmm. And, if they wanted to to make it into a TV show, you know, I think it would be a terrific TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the right with the right director, and and uh, I think it, I think it could be terrific. In fact, 
you know, I try to, you know, when I write comics, I try to be cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to, to write them uh, as TV episodes. Mm-hmm. That, that's something I did all the time with, uh, with Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And, and fans got that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it came across and, and that was very gratifying. They said, yeah, it's just like, a, just like a, an episode we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was very, um, it was good to hear. And, uh, and it was good that they, they got what I was trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Have you ever watched Dark Matter on Sci-Fi? No, but I want to. Okay, that's another. That's another thing I want to. Uh, I want to work. Let me. You know, I'll point out a little something I've been doing to that because it has. Some, it might have a bearing on what you're talking about. Dark mm-hmm. Matter was is written. We talked about Stargate couple ago. Some of the creators or producers on Stargate got together and did a comic book called Dark Matter, and it came out from Dark Horse, appropriately enough, and. That book came out, and I really loved it. And then when I was shocked to find out that Sci-Fi had actually picked it up, and if you read like the first comic, it's like the first episode of mm-hmm. the series. Mm. And I was shocked. I said, "Holy smoke!" I said, "This is the the comic book that I bought." And of course, now it's in the second or third season. It's going along, and it's doing real well. And I, you know, it makes what you're doing makes me think along those lines. You know, you might want to buddy up to somebody at Sci-Fi. <laughs> yeah, it's luck of the draw. I mean, you know. I've uh, I've approached um, sci-fi with. In fact, I I mean I'll tell you I the Medieval Times mm-hmm. is uh, you know the restaurant chain. Mm-hmm. A friend and I he had a business relationship with Medieval Times and and he wanted to create a a TV series based on the Medieval Times. So I said great and and I came up with a pilot and and uh, we tried to sell it to sci-fi. Sci-fi didn't buy it, but Bravo did. Hmm. And it was going to be first. It was going to be their first dramatic series, hmm. and uh, it was a um, uh, in a, it was an ensemble series because at in the medieval times restaurants they have uh, what six nights, mm-hmm. and so it's about six nights, mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of a swords and sorcery thing, and uh, and and Bravo was very excited about it, and then medieval times, which was in on it from the beginning, eventually lawyers put the kibosh on it oh nuts and you know yeah oh nuts but but you know this is the way things go so sometimes you get you, you get to the threshold and you just don't go anywhere from there and then other times it works mm-hmm. so you kind of um you can't expect it you can't even hope for it you put it out there and you see what happens mm-hmm. well it sounds like a great concept so i'm really looking forward to it say the name of the book again it's called Empty Space. Okay, and it's coming out in December on Comixology is what we're aiming for? That's our goal, is mm-hmm. to come out in December on Comixology and, uh, and and take it bi-monthly from that point. Okay. Now, are there other things that you're working on that we should be aware of, Michael? Well, yeah, a few things. One is um, I'm just finishing the editing of Pangea, mm-hmm. which is an anthology um, I did um, with uh, – 12 other science fiction writers. This is the second volume. Hmm. Uh, the idea is that is that mankind has grown up on a single supercontinent hmm. and has never known anything else, uh, never, never grown up on disparate continents. So, for instance, the Neanderthals survive as a separate and distinct race. Hmm. There's no transcontinental voyages because there's nowhere to go hmm. other than this one continent. Uh, there's no colonialism. And uh, and it's a different world, and yet there are some similarities. So you have a um, a very different world, and the stories are all spawned by by that difference. Hmm. We have some great writers. 
I don't want to I don't want to start mentioning them because because then I'll feel bad that I didn't mention the others. But if you've looked at our list of writers, we have Nebula and Hugo nominees. We we have TV writers. We have um, just a terrific roster. And and uh, the first uh, first volume did well, and we're hoping that the second volume does just as well. We kickstarted them both. So we've already uh, covered our expenses, and uh, eventually there'll be a, a third volume. I'm also uh, working on an anthology of my own stories, uh, long and short form, um, some novellas, uh, some short stories. Short stories, writing shorter fiction is a muscle I haven't exercised a lot, mm-hmm. but I got the urge to do so uh, um, you know, in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. So little by little, I've accumulated an interesting collection of stories, science fiction, fantasy, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm almost done with that. So I'll be kickstarting that uh, next year, wow. probably early. In. And um, there are some other franchises I want to extend. Uh, there's one uh, called Aslan, mm-hmm. which is about a, um, a 21st century Aztec Empire series of murder mysteries. <laughs> and the hero is an inspector for an investigator, an investigator for the emperor. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Mashtlaklua. Um, so I want to do some more of that. Uh, that's that's been very well received. Mm. And I did a book called I Am the Salamander which yes. I'd like to do a sequel to. It's essentially a superhero novel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd like to, uh, I've already started a sequel to that. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot going on. And, and, and as I said, I, wanna, I want to um, get back into working on, on Star Trek properties as well. Okay. So that'll be, uh, that'll be something, uh, an interesting challenge. Well, if you don't get to write the scripts, you can always pick up the novels based on the, right. the new show because they're always looking for people to write the novels to go along with it because Star Trek sells action figures and novels and costumes and you name it. So they're always looking for some new material to put out. So you'll have to put a pitch in for a, a novel when you start seeing the show. I believe I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, you're always doing great stuff. It's great to talk with you again, and much success with this, and I'll keep track of it. And when you get a, a, enough that you can send me a, a PDF or something so I can write a review about it, I'd like to get the, the first issue so I can talk about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I hope to come back, uh, you know, when when we're a little further down the line and, and we have more to talk about, I'd like to, I'd like to do so. Okay, we'll do that. Okay, great. Thanks for having me. It's always fun uh you know to talk to somebody who knows exactly what he's talking about and uh and uh, kindred spirit so i appreciate that well same here Concrud's not the only thing I came away from New York Comic Con with. Coming soon, you'll hear my interviews with great DC creators. And in two weeks, my Halloween broadcast with two special holiday interviews. But until then, keep reading your comics.